Welcome to The People on K-Chunk, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Our guests today are Joey Uris Algazin, Holly Melgard, and Chris Sylvester. Joey, Holly, and Chris are writers who are currently finishing their PhDs at SUNY Buffalo, New York. And collectively, they constitute Troll Thread, an online publisher and PDF press. We'll be talking with them about that today and about their own individual work. One of the, my big attractions to Troll Thread, we have access to these technologies that like, we can completely explore these vestiges in writing and poetry that may have never been possible because you would have to pay for that, for that to exist. And so I was definitely excited in ways of playing with, performing, and turning up the volume on different aspects of the dimensions of the book. There was some kind of resistance towards what we were making there because it didn't seem serious. Yeah. It didn't seem like we were taking ourselves serious because we were enjoying ourselves. I mean, like, literally when I started Troll Thread, it was the first time I was like, oh, I make poems I like now. On, on the internet, language does literally pool. Things collect, like, reservoirs of weird junk. Things just stay there. And they, their organization oftentimes doesn't need to be affected because it's just, you find this, like, it's like a raft of trash in the Pacific Ocean. And you're like, this is it. Why would I do anything else than this? The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond on K-Chunk, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. It's like a broken record, magically repaired. You can listen to The People on the live stream at kchungradio.org. That's K-C-H-U-N-G radio.org. Or you can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press, so to find out more, go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. Joey Uris, Elgazin, Holly Melgard, and Chris Sylvester, welcome to The People. Yeah, welcome, guys. Yeah, thank, thanks, thanks for, for having us. Having thanks us. for having thanks, us, guys. guys. So you all together are Troll Thread. So tell us about Troll Thread. Uh, okay. Um... Troll Thread uh, right now is a Tumblr and Lulu press that the three of us run. Uh, I think but it started in what, like 2010? 2010. Mm-hmm. 2010. And that was, that was prior to actually having the site up. I think it was, it was connected to Chris's Tumblr, uh, SisterAct.com. And Chris had started publishing some of the books that he had been making. And I knew uh, Chris from the UB Poetics Program, University of Buffalo Poetics Program. And so we were both making work that we quickly realized was not... Um, probably going to be published anywhere else. And so we could start putting it up ourselves. And so Chris started doing that. And then we brought on Holly Melgard and uh, Divya Victor. Um, And so it was the four of us who ran the press up until I think like 2013, 2013, 2013, Divya left the project. And so now it's just the three of us. And everything we put out, we put out as both free downloadable PDF and also printable book that you can order print on demand through Lulu. Yeah. And it, it kind of opened up for us, like what, what was actually publishable because using Lulu and Tumblr, we didn't need to have any capital. See, that's the, that's the other part of the story. We were all like, and we still are all very poor. So this was about outsourcing book production, literally, um, but making it the reader's option as well. So if you do want to start at the Lulu book machine and we won't go into what that constitutes, but I bet everyone can imagine, um, it's you that pays the money and it's you that gets the book, right? Other than that, they're all free online as PDF. And it also eliminates the fact, any investment on our part, we can run this mobily as quickly, as slowly as we want to. Um, it just kind of lives with us. Yeah, we, yeah. Make, we, we make no money off the press. So yeah. every book for Lulu is exactly at cost. what and Lulu charges. Just as a, Despite the fact that we met at UB Poetics Program and would not have done this without that program, we were never affiliated with the university there is either, either, which maybe only makes sense to us coming from that scene where the university invests a lot in these productions, but we made a decision to keep this thing completely. This is something completely else, right? Right. Yeah. So um, as a publishing model, like it's kind of, it was kind of a new idea to work in this mode and mainly as graduate students, we just, we start like, Joey wanted, or Chris wanted to publish Joey. Joey wanted to publish us. We wanted to publish friends. And we kept, we brought each other in as a way of like making this the most minimal effort for any individual and to really streamline and automate as much of that process as possible. Yeah. Like moving yeah. from just publishing my work or mine and Joey's or just therefore 
required enough kind of like human capital investment. There needed to be four of us to like handle the load of publishing stuff that we would get from friends and other weird people that just sent it to us. So. Yeah. And we have 70 books now. So we've, we've made a lot of Is stuff. That 70 yes. books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 70. Many of them pushing weird. the Lulu 740 page single volume limit. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of pages. Yeah. And so it yeah. does get tricky with the Lulu thing. It gets tricky. Uh, when you're talking about getting books printed, like getting a physical book printed, that gets weird with some of the stuff that you publish, right? Because it's right. really long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or there's uh, Holly has a book called Black Friday, which we put out on Black Friday, which is hence the name. We're very clever. Um, and what it was was Holly realized so color books at this time it's gotten cheaper, but color books at this time were really expensive on Lulu. But they would treat black ink as just black and white, regardless of how much black ink you had. So Holly had this idea that she would just have white page numbers and the page is completely black. And so then our goal at the time was see if we could, because Lulu outsources their printing. So if we could break an industrial sized printer, that would probably be the height of book production. And it took a long time for Lulu to even let us print that book. Mm-hmm. They kept sending back these Oh my God, emails. yeah, we collected, the, the project at that point was just the series of emails from Lulu saying, we can't do this. People keep ordering it and we can't do it. Please stop, take it down. And they never took it down. And then suddenly they made, they probably found a cheaper printing option in another part of the world uh, and was able to produce this book. But again, yeah. it's always the people that buy it. Like we. I, right. I so from the beginning, the press was always like a place for orphan texts that couldn't be published otherwise. And that actually opened up a lot of exploratory and experimental possibilities because we could make a 16 volume book or whatever. There wasn't, no one paid the price for, you didn't have to invest in the book financially for it to come out. So it meant we could put out all kinds of crazy shit that no one would ever. Yeah. And it also allowed for the kind of glitches in the technology to show, we got a a book by Joseph Kaplan called one to 100, which was just the conversation around the numbers project in Wikipedia. And he sent it to us. It was like 225 pages really weirdly formatted and he had so cut it directly into a microsoft word document and so there were just pages of blank spacing like incorrect formatting well that actually happened so when we went to lulu when we went to lulu well so i was talking to joseph and a lot of his work uh, around that time was this sort of like overdetermined marxism like the logic of marxism ramped up to this kind of like illogical and crazy Both perfectly and horribly so i realized yeah. it'd be really funny if we made it exactly each volume exactly the size of mao's little book of quotations and so we, I sized it up in the Microsoft Word document. Holly made this like beautiful cover of the Mozambique flag, which is a gun and a book over a star and like did all these weird like teal they were very colors. Every volume had a different colored star on it. I think basically. we were calling it psychotic communism at the time. The yeah, aesthetic. I think that was, yeah. yeah. But when, when I formatted it into the size of that book, most of the text got lost. It got pushed off the margins. And so I remember I wrote to Joseph and I was like, all right, dude, um, the book's kind of like some of these volumes have a single like line of text in blue for all 200 some pages. Do you care? And he's like, no, man, I don't care. Yeah. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So we printed in full color to preserve the blue hyperlinks. Yeah. And yeah. The, it, the book itself costs like 800 bucks, but luckily it's free. <laughs> get all the volumes. You can download it for free. And yeah. Yeah. So it exists either way. And actually a whole copy of it exists in the Buffalo archive. So it, it is a thing in the world yeah. like in every way. I mean, I, and University of Buffalo, the library like uh, collects a lot of the stuff that you guys publish. That, yeah. that archive collects like all the small press that it can get its hands on. It's yeah. one of the biggest in the it is the biggest in the country, I believe, yeah. and, and yeah, one of the biggest like in the that. world. And so For when poetry, we started... Maybe just American poetry, but... Yeah, when we started building a substantial mass, they were like, well, I guess we have to collect you too, and... Yeah, yeah. and also Michael Basinski, who runs it, and James Maynard, they have... They're really open yeah. to almost anything. And, and so they really supportive. just... Very supportive, very open. So they were kind of champions of what we were doing. I, Holly was performing with them, uh, or performing with Mike Basinski in Buffluxus at the time also. So we had like that connection and so they got those books. It was funny because that was like, because we can't afford most of our books. We don't have like a single collection of them. So that was, we would go to the archive and see and how look. they yeah. and see how and they that turned out. Let the institution work for you. Yeah. you know? And that's the same archive that'll collect like a book that is a shoe box with a shoe and a hanky in it. That's a Fluxus book. Yeah. It's a dollar bill. <laughs> and it's a Clark Coolidge it's book. It's a Clark Coolidge right? poem. Yeah, and it would be a shoe, a shoe with like a dollar bill in it. So good. Yeah. That was so my good. cover of Clark Coolidge's poem. Did you guys like it? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, good job. You. You're like the Aram Sarayan of Clark Coolidge imitations. 
That was a really good joke. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys, you guys touched on it just like you passed right over it, but your relationship with that specific educational institution has a lot to do with why you're doing what you're doing, right? Uh, In the sense that like, I think it most importantly, we met each other there. It was like a place to have met one another and, and, and because it invites or lures certain types of people. I don't think all three of us would be in the same place at the same time at the same moment. And there's also the, the aspect of being exposed to a huge amount of material all at once. Um, but I have a feeling that if we had met at the same time at the same place somewhere else, we probably would have ended up doing something similar. Well, I but, think... Um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, but you know, also like, I mean, Chris and I came in in 2008. Joey came in in 2009. We came in just months before the, 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 the collapse and the bailouts. And so, I mean, in our time, we came in subscribing to you know, an investment in getting a PhD that would, you know, could result in a real job. And we've seen a total uh, renovation of what the university system means, especially for the humanities and English. And so I think also that relationship to the university being overworked, representing a a mouthpiece of some invested value in books. It's certainly, there's been like a parallelness. It became very similar to the road very quickly. Yeah, but I mean, but Um, also to go back to that question, like, a, Buffalo's really strangely isolated. Like, you're kind of... I mean, Toronto's right there, and there's a lot of interaction with, really, like, really great uh, Canadian poets. Um, like, we've met some great people in Toronto, and, like, Gregory Betts was and at... People uh, come through Brock, because people of the come through, But you're really kind of isolated, so it becomes this kind of, like, incubator, in yeah. a way. And so, it's like, kind of provincial with Divya Victor, <laughs> Steve Zoltansky, and I know Steve McCaffrey, who's a professor there, was yeah. really influential, Myung Mi Kim... As well, and so there was a lot of like weird... and Dennis Tedlock and Dennis Tedlock. transcription and Ming Chan Ma and Ming Shout Ma. out to Ma. Shout Most out to Ma. Ma. But there was like so you would take these classes that were like really bizarre, like Ma's class on the literal, asking, "Can you think the literal?" Right, and I don't. So you just like read a bunch of stuff on metaphor, find out your limitations, and actually even understanding what he was asking you, yeah. and sort of like bash your head against these things. So it created this kind of like weird sort of incubator mm-hmm. of ideas and possibilities. And I know like and also the conversations that we were having is sort of dissatisfaction also with the kind of state of experimental poetry realizing at least for me and I don't want to speak for these two but realizing like it had a certain argument about itself where it had to believe there was this other kind of like official what uh, Charles Bernstein called like official verse quietism right and so you're you're sitting there in these classes and you're realizing that this like official verse culture like the you know Lynn Hedginian teaching at like Iowa and Berkeley like even like a good friend Rod Smith teaches at Iowa that like this isn't uh as other yeah this isn't an alternative and so you you sit and you hear these and you you start to ask yourself like are there other possibilities of what we can make what we can do um outside of the specific parameters that people were talking about at the time and I think the the production apparatus feeds into this like it was there discovering the model that we've used thus far and just the kind of like vast potential opened up by the stupid internet yeah. Right. Like this is a, a precisely what I think first keyed us into the idea that, yes, there was in fact many alternatives. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, and our books don't have blurbs and we don't do the whole like announcement writing to publishers. We don't do that whole part. Like we just let social media networking yeah. and meme culture kind of ideally and the carry fact that they that just persist there. Right. They stay on the Tumblr. Right. That, that, that we stop looking at the Tumblr for three months. Anyone who finds a link anywhere, anyone who you know, decides to look, we'll always find that material, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and not having that allowed us to actually make as much stuff as we have. And yeah. we just want to get the work out that's yeah. working now and, and make I think, that as successful as possible. And I think as like happens with a lot of people, like the kind of stuff that we make came out of the technologies that were already available to us. Like we were starting to make stuff, but like the Tumblr really opened it up. POD opened it up. And like Holly has this big background in book design. And so like she was able to sort of regularize what was going on in terms of cover and format and like make it make navigable it, make yeah. it navigable and make it like um uh coherent to someone who is like make it uh, translatable yeah, yeah to an yeah. outsider the, di- yeah. Does, yeah. the design has a vector and at least yeah. it, it becomes like something that identifies and re-identifies even though well, it changes make, constantly yeah or like making continuity yeah. like just having like regular use of just a few fonts and simplifying certain things makes it sort of recognizable but you at made the same it look time like I mean, we knew what we were doing made yeah. it look like that but you know when <laughs> like you look at all plans. the books yeah exactly when you look at all the books next to each other certainly things have changed and also we've tried to maintain a kind of design style also that looks less than 
completely commercial and controlled also like we've enjoyed the aesthetic of there being a bit of flux and variation yeah amateur discontinuity has been part of the intentional continuities that we've installed can you talk a little bit about your like your guys's collective reception in that community at buffalo suny buffalo like how that how you guys negotiated that and uh, how that went down yeah i mean i think that uh huh there was definitely um, a thing that Buffalo was doing very strongly beforehand, which was a lot of letterpress because they had access to the Center for Fine Arts and like the letterpress there. And there was a lot of interest in, say, like objectivism up and that kind of stuff. And so there was some kind of resistance towards what we were making there because it didn't seem serious. Yeah. It didn't seem like we were taking ourselves serious because we were enjoying ourselves. I mean, like literally when I started Troll Thread, it was the first time I was like, oh, I make poems I like now. Right. And I don't make poems that I think are important poems. Yeah. Right. I, I don't I'm not making things that I think are going to like some sententious like statement or something like that. Instead, it's just like this is a thing that we made. Let's put it up and yeah. let's move on to the next. It's thing. amateurish yeah. because it's enthu- it's the work of enthusiasts. Right. Yeah. Like I just I can't stop doing this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there was right. also like with with Steve McCaffrey, there was a big um, connection to like Fluxus and to the four horsemen and like these kind of really weird experimental stuff especially stuff that was happening in like the 60s and 70s and there's actually a long tradition in buffalo um with that kind of stuff like cage was there uh i always want to call him milton friedman but it's morton feldman, feldman. feldman. Yeah. very different people. very different very both different great people. are you talking, both, about, yeah. are you talking great. about raymond fetterman no 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 um oh. uh milton friedman morton <laughs> feldman <laughs> Not Milton Friedman. Holly Melgard. Holly Melgard. Holly uh, Melgard's there. He was, I think he was in charge of the music department for a while, if I'm right. Um, and so there was this like, uh, Tony Conrad was there. Yeah. There was a lot of like really experimental stuff that had come out of there. And, and this, a huge like, noise scene. Huge noise scene at yeah. the time. Like I think Summer Scum was there for the last three years. It's in New York now. But like, yeah, yeah there was like a noise scene. There was a lot of DIY art. So it like kind of fed into that. Yeah. That like made sense. Um, if the poetry stuff was a little... Um, interested in a sort of different trajectory yeah. at that time. And I'm, so it was, it was, I mean, it also formats our decision to move into this medium in the first place. Uh, we, we've always just kind of in one way or another, um, we immediately want to give the middle finger. It's just one of our postures. You're listening to the people on K Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press, so to find out more, go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. We'll return to our conversation with Joey Uris Algazin, Holly Melgard, and Chris Sylvester in a few minutes. But first, let's listen to an excerpt from Chris's reading at the Insert Blanc pop-up on July 18th at ArtShare LA. Um, this recording is live, so the sound quality is a little bit crunchy, but I'm sure you're going to love it. What does the horse hanger look like, he asks. I do not answer. I do not like him, and I do not know why he is here. And anyway, it is becoming visible now. He is too stupid to notice. Yes, it is there, a low structure on the frozen horizon, rounded toward the top and covered with ice and snow. It squats in its place staying the same size as we move over the impassable furrows and crevices of the glacier. The terrain does not affect our horse transport in the least. The ice sliding below us is dirty, years of particulate showing slate and dull, and beyond that there is only the weird light with the shape of the hangar stuck in it and the sound of steam leaving the horse's flank vents. My God, he says beside me just now noticing it, and I turn without responding and leave the deck entering the warm insides of the horse. Within an hour, we dock, the transport rocking into its slip with a wicker, the giant doors of the horse hanger shutting slowly, vibrating in the distance. Coming out onto the deck, I am struck by the sight, and he, coming up behind me, says, oh God, again. This is what we see, row upon row of horses, of a variety of makes and models, 
all suspended off the ground by their support trusses and complex scaffolds, their refueling lines, some draping like streamers, sagging away from the horses' bodies, dipping low and then ascending toward their separate points of connection with the ceiling, some shooting straight out of the shadows and recesses of the horse hangar in the near or far distance to dock with one horse or another at various points across its flank or somewhere on its, its undercarriage or at the haunches or up and down a set of legs or under its chin or by way of the mouth and down the throat or in the tangles of its mane and continuing along the spine. So I, I was asked about troll, uh, Total Walkthrough over the break, and so I'll start there, I guess. Uh, total Walkthrough was something, it was maybe one of the earliest poems I was working on in this, this register, right? And so I started making work that I just posted on a Tumblr blog every day, sisteract.tumblr.com. And I just, it is now just kind of on hiatus permanently. But I was posting material, I was using a lot of video game um, textual material, either stripped from the games, the ROMs themselves, or people's descriptions of them in walkthroughs, usually from GameFAQs. Shout out to GameFAQs, if you ever figure out what I did, I'm, I'm done. Um, uh, and so Total Walkthrough was really kind of describes the arc of my, the, the kind of rapid evolution that gave birth to the possibility of Troll Thread as a group project, I think. I'm writing, I, what I did was I just took seven different walkthroughs of the classic video game, uh, The Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past for the Super Nintendo. Um, seven different people writing long texts about how to navigate every situation in the game. And I alphabetized them. And then every day at work, I would post three letters uh, of, of, you know, maybe anywhere from 10 to 50 pages a piece of, of material. Um, from one walkthrough, and then I just worked through all the way. It took, the, the project took me six months, and I worked at the time. I was working in data management, which is also important for me. Um, and so after that, I collected them all, and it was one of my first books on Troll Thread. So you can see the kind of leap from the, the evolution from kind of a blog-based composition to a blog-based composition that also includes not as its endpoint, but kind of being studied by books, right? These kinds of stabilized zones where the blog content hangs together Lulu provides that kind of container, right? Because for me, it's just PDF. I dump things into spaces that get as big as I need them to, right? Books can be the same way, other than the 740-page limit. Um, but over the time, over time, I've, I've worked a lot with video games. Uh, I, the model of, of enjoyment uh, and suffering provided by the video game as an interfacing technology means a lot to me as someone who interfaces with things that don't exist and then do exist and then demand things of me. Um, and as a person who is obsessed with touching platforms for the delivery of information, much less for the information than the act of looking at them, books, the internet, um, it's, all just a it's all just a fucking farce to get you to touch the thing um, continually for no reason. Um, and so, but now what I do is I, I give him my, uh, well, do you want to, well, can you talk then about like the Pikachu, uh, uh the, the Pokemon book, the Pokemon. So, book, that, yeah. you know, the, the, a lot of these video game books are, um, uh, especially the, some of the larger ones, like total walkthrough speaks to, you know, a kind of refinement, which to me is kind of embarrassing and juvenile now. Um, you know, the, the, the Pokemon yellow script or all text from the Pokemon yellow game in 30 point font, whatever is just one, what they call a text dump. Every instance of text from the video game, usually unformatted because you need the algorithms of action to place text at certain places. So within the data of the game, it's usually all listed in like lists, right? So every item you can get in the game, every response you can make to someone in the game, you know, all of these things clustered or blocked together. And I just took it and I put it in a Word document and I, uh, and I blew it up to 30 point font in Monaco and I called it all those things. And uh, it was just on my blog available as a PDF for a while because there's a lot of weird hidden sister act like PDF material if you guys want to creep around on that website. Click the top banner. Like it gives you 17 things to download. Um, I don't think anyone's ever found that. I found it. Yeah. You probably showed it to me. Yeah, yeah, I just showed it to you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I was living there, and then someone sent a piece of what seemed to be hate mail. Uh, the cover it was of, hate mail. Well, no, I think it was all an elaborate gag. It yeah, was, yeah, it was yeah. sent from a, a community college of Philadelphia uh, uh, .edu web, like, you know, web address. Uh, they, they, they were um, yelling at me about hijacking the, the language of a Japanese woman who had written the script and the person who translated it. Um, but the fact of the matter is when we looked up this woman, she was not the, the, either the author or the translator of the text and both those people were men. 
Um, and so the moment we got the letter, I mean, this is the kind of mobility it allows me to do. I get this letter in my Gmail, I screenshot it, I immediately make it a cover of the book, and I put the book out, right? Now it's not just a PDF on my website, now it's a troll thread book, and then people love it, you know? But it's it happened literally in one three-hour period on one day, and then in one three-hour period on another. Yeah. And then it just does things on its own. It also right? marked a kind of interesting transition, at least in the way that I read Chris's work, where Chris's work... Um, was for a while like very obsessed with this idea of how space is translated within these different platforms. So you had uh, Grid, yeah, uh, the Republic, which is he takes the whole uh, the text same thing. of yeah. SimCity and he just uh, anytime instead of saying like SimCity or whatever you wrote the Republic yeah. and the mayor's name is Mayor Plato, and it's just like laid out like that. And so it became this kind of, but that I feel like introduced it into a sort of like material yeah uh, existence by putting that cover where your work has sort of moved to the platform. As the sort of I material space, I mean, like, is taking an yeah. important weird transitional phrase for me is for every for a long time there, everything was called a still life. Mm-hmm. Um, right, like like I, I I see whatever it is that hangs together as a book in its variety of platform instantiations as being just a kind of arrangement, mm-hmm. an arrangement. I mean, Dutch still life is more important to me than anything else, but video games maybe in this regard. Chris, you were also like, I mean, we were all kind of influenced by Tonlin a lot. And I yeah. know that you were certainly obsessed with waste. Tonlin wrote his dissertation on, on waste and yeah. cultural waste. And I just wanted to, I don't know, Tonlin, highlight or yeah. ask you a little bit about that. Because I know for you, that was a particular focus in grabbing these text dumps and like yeah. different like wasted language. And- it was, you know, he kind of got me to realize, and this is something we've all developed together, um, you know, in our own ways, but he was the first that maybe got me to realize that on, on the internet language does literally pool things right. collect like reservoirs of weird junk. Things just stay there and they're that their organization oftentimes doesn't need to be affected because it's just, you, why would you terraform a planet that was built by the, uh, how could you, that was built by an agglomerate of other planetoids, you know, kind of pushing in together? You find this, like, it's like a raft of trash in the Pacific Ocean. And you're like, this is it. Why would I do anything else than this? I feel like, um, in, in a way, it's like the memento mori of, like, text. Yeah. Instead of arranging dead rabbits, it's like arranging a lot of dead and decaying texts. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, for me, it's the shift has been made to where I look for or am attracted to and I practice something of a kind of um it's a memento mori for like a very intense enjoyment of something ridiculous uh, in other words fetish practice fantasy play like those are the those are the communities I go to for material and my relation to them is one of uh not appropriation at all but a kind of I well I appropriate the genre coordinates and then I do what they do I enjoy inflicting them upon myself so there's that like that is connected in one way or another to this kind of arrangement of materials or a pre-found arrangement. I like finding someone else's arrangement of enjoyment, right? Oh, you don't you get off on taking spark plugs out of cars, <laughs> watching people not be able to turn them on, and then writing fan fiction about that, right? And like that fan fiction to me is it's it is I don't know it courses with jouissance. It's just soaked with 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 things the bad things that we enjoy, and I, I to me that relation as a poet is very important, right? It's what keeps me from ever being able to say like, I'm a poet for, um, my poetry will never do, do better for the world. At best, it'll do worse. Um, and, and like, but only because I can't stop that enjoyment in me, I can't make it an altruistic endeavor, right? It's a curse upon me and other people. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Maybe we can switch over yeah, to, yeah. to Speaking Holly of for a curses, second. yeah. <laughs> I was, that was the transition I was looking yeah. for. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to tell us about, is it poems, the Poems for Babies trilogy? Yeah, Poems for Baby trilogy is, that was the first uh, set of books that I put out on Troll Thread, which is, there's three books, Colors for Baby, Foods for Baby, and Shapes for Baby. And each is like 40 pages long, and each one is just like one word per page and a diagram of that word that stays the same. So the first book is colors for baby and it's just a square and colors for baby just lists all these shades of white and then foods for baby is just a circle and it lists all these different ball shaped foods and there's a few like twists in there like breast and kibble look twists (laughs) kids eat anything and then you know it matures with age like the harry potter book so the third in the trilogy shapes for baby is like a it's a what is it a backslash and then it just has all these different words that make that shape. So it includes like ebb and depress 
and needle and die and penis recess you're my jk rowling holly i try to be yeah you are my witchy my witchy woman (laughs) so that's the poems for baby trilogy and i like i kind of made it in a night and put it out all at once and that was a really exciting thing to be able to do on a platform that I had so much control over the dimensions of the book. So the dimensions of the book itself was made to like kind of imitate this like child book genre. If we could print on cardboard pages, it would have been on cardboard. Mm. Yeah, Lulu. Listen <laughs> yeah. up. But being able to like interact with a press where you get so many more options than just like a limited in-house style yeah. really allowed it to allowed me to I was attracted to one of the, my big attractions to Troll Thread and publishing with Troll Thread as a possibility has very much been like that we have access to these technologies that like we can, you know, completely explore these vestiges in writing and poetry that may have never been possible because you would have to pay for that, for that to exist. Joseph Kaplan's One to a Hundred, previous mm-hmm. example, has some books that have like two words in them and mostly blank pages and it's totally wasteful. Yeah. And so I was definitely, as a book designer, really excited in ways of playing with, performing, and I don't know, turning up the volume on different aspects of the mm-hmm. dimensions of the book and the architectonics of the book. So mm-hmm. I really saw it as like after Poems for Baby and continuing to design, design for Troll Thread, um, at least with that project, I got really... Um, obsessed with thinking of playing the book like an instrument or something. And so before Colors, before the Poems for Baby trilogy, I was much more, um, and during also, I still do it, but I, I, I was raised a, a concert pianist. And yeah. so I, I've done, a, <laughs> mainly my, my focus in poetry has been in sound and making soundscapes and different kinds of instrumentation with words that I can play with loop pedals, layering, that kind of thing. And so uh, in Buffalo, the more attention Troll Thread got, the fewer readings I got in Buffalo. So I had less opportunities to really explore that acoustic space. And so the longer I was with Troll Thread, the more I got focused on like just how I could play this book like an instrument and see what kind of affordance that had. So then the books that came after that were things like um, Money by Maker, which is a book that just reprints uh, full color, which is illegal. It takes uh, front and back scans of a $100 bill, full color to scale, and just prints that on the pages with little dotted lines around it to cut out. Yeah. And so I, I used POD that time to counterfeit money illegally. Yeah. Well, it was but, like and to shift responsibility. And to shift responsibility. You know, yeah, like well, they're I've the never, people that are actually printing it. Right? I don't like, own a copy of the book, and I've never ordered a copy of the book. And the book begins with a, dis- a legal disclaimer that says, like, we don't know who would be legally responsible for this like maybe the maybe the person who buys this book maybe lulu we're not really sure but troll thread doesn't take a profit so there's no no harm no foul here and did you guys up. ever get like anything back from lulu like we no. haven't no. we yeah. haven't i mean no. we could some da- no. i mean definitely it has a no. phone number for the department of treasury treasury to report or to look further into the issue i don't think anyone's taking us up on the offer hoping not just because you know I'm yeah. kind of strapped for time. I'm an adjunct, so I'm pretty busy. I'm pretty <laughs> and rich. Super rich. <laughs> so yeah. rich in my adjunct income. Um, but yeah, so, and I made that book after, I remember we saw some book come out in, it was like an artist's book that was working with Dostoevsky's Poor, which Joe had made, Joey had made a series of poems with Dostoevsky's Poor and appropriating yeah. it and repurposing that text. And so we were like teasing Joey about how, you know, well, if you were in the art world, you would have gotten money for that. Ha ha ha, you're so poor. <laughs> and so I was like, well, if po, you know, if poesis means to make, then why wouldn't we make our own money? Like, let's <laughs> have poetry make it rain. <laughs> so that was that book. And then after that, you know, there were others like uh, Black Friday, which Joey already mentioned. Reimbursement. Reimbursement, where I scanned my losing lottery and scratch tickets from the time I lived in Buffalo as I kept seeing my financial future decline and decline. That's the one book that sold at a profit. We're selling it at the same cost as the lost, all the money lost on those losing lottery and scratch tickets. So one purchase gets Holly above One the purchase board. would reimburse me for all the money yeah. I lost. Back to the black, <laughs> baby. And, but you have- and I'm actually, I sell those uh, losing lottery and scratch tickets now as broadsides at nice. poetry readings and stuff. For the price of the lottery the, ticket. Their, their price is already marked. Right, it's on the there. The price already. is on there. But you do, you so. do, do some, How much? like, look at the corner. You do the do some, like, textual stuff. Like, you're making of the Americans... Oh, yeah. Which is a great book. Yeah, and I did Making the Americans, which was also playing with a book. Like, um, I took Gertrude Stein's Making of the Americans, which is a 925-page book, 
it's known as one of the most repetitive in the English language, and therefore that's why it's so difficult to discern the plot. And, you know, people are... Stein's got a whole complex about repetition. Like she says, there's no such thing as repetition. There's only recurrence. And others say, well, you can't understand it because it's so repetitive. So what I did was I fixed that whole problem and I just removed all the repetition. So every word in the book just shows each word as it's brought in, as it appears in the book for the first time. So whereas the original was 925 pages, the making of the Americans is 20 pages. 23. Something like 23 pages. Yeah. And it, it it's... I made it to the exact dimensions of the something else press edition. So it's like very much what I like about it is you get to see like Stein uh, coming upon a cumulative mass that then she has to bring something in new. And I mean, for someone who has such a complex about repetition, of course, the book ends with like uh, saying similar, similarly repeating comes up in the last 10 words of that book. So it's actually kind of an incredible spatial index of what comes of this duration of repeating and repeating she dictated that book anyways i could go on i'm like an encyclopedia I'm right. um, i wrote a chapter just to say i heard to do a myung and do this and say i heard again there like when you bring in how you designed the book the the kind of your enjoyment of the sudden proliferation of options for just design decisions mm-hmm. right i and i wanted to point out that the freedom embedded in this platform too is it goes from the most design input to as little as you want you could have like mm-hmm. i like i don't i change four things you know, I, yeah. And then I put the book up, where's Holly? Yeah. But, you know, I just want to say that um, I actually, I don't uh, really perform from most of the books on Trollthread at performances. Like, I'm usually reading other stuff. And so I've published primarily with Trollthread. I haven't published a book with an outside press. And it's like, you know how when you take on a technology and adopt it as your own, it's hard to go back. I've had a hard time getting all the other stuff that I've done in performance space and made for sound into a book that can go through a two, three, four-year process of editing, et cetera. Yeah. So that, and I, I mean, mainly I'm just like, I don't want to read from reimbursement. It's a, it's a book instrument. Like it doesn't really translate. You're listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. When you're there, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. To find out more, go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. We'll return to our conversation with Joey Uris Algison, Holly Melgard, and Chris Sylvester in a few minutes. But first, we're going to listen to excerpts from Holly and Joey's readings, which were also recorded at the Insert Blanc pop-up on July 18th at Art Share LA here in Los Angeles. And again, these are live recordings, so the sound isn't the best, but we think you'll enjoy them anyway. Okay, this is child labor. Uh, the premise being, my mom likes to remind me often for how long she was in labor with me, which I think is kind of a cop-out because I was in that labor too. Like, what the fuck? Then it occurred to me, like, I haven't really heard a lot of accounts of what that's like from the child's perspective, which is unfortunate. Like, why aren't those narratives more populated? So anyways, I did some research, found some literature that described what it was like to be inside of a woman and figured it was just a problem of ordering of information so been reordering that information to provide a composite sketch for us of what that must be like. Okay, so child labor. When I was inside of her, deep in her body, I was so deep in her, I was all the way up to her stomach. When I was in her, she felt so small and breakable. I felt so big compared to her soft walls, which kept getting tighter. I'd never felt so hard before, and I didn't think I could get any bigger. It was my first time. At first, all of me was in her. My little finger, my middle finger, two fingers, three, my left hand, my right hand. My whole fist was in her, both feet, both legs, my torso, my arms. I was shoulder deep in her, knee deep, dick deep, balls deep in her. My ass, my crotch, covered in her. My head slid all around in her. Her frame felt so tiny when I was inside of her. She was wrapped so tightly around me that I couldn't breathe. I was expecting her to be so fragile and soft, which only made me get bigger. The sounds she began to make when I was inside of her. All I could hear were grunts, whimpers, and the slapping of our skin. Those little sounds she made were spellbinding. She was like poetry in motion. 911, what's the location of your emergency? Okay, 
Where are you? Ma'am? 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 I need first and foremost, you have to calm down, okay? If I'm going to help you, you've got to work with me. All right, slow down. Listen to me. Are you in your vehicle? Listen to my question. Answer one at a time. Don't say anything more. Are you in your vehicle? You're in your vehicle. Yes. And your vehicle is where? So your car is in, okay. Okay. What kind of vehicle are you in? Behind one of the houses. Started moving and it's flowing now. Stay on the phone with me. Just stay on the phone with me, okay? I'm going to get further if I can, but just stay on the line. What is your name? Identifying information redacted. S as in Sam or F as in Foxtrot. What? I'm sorry. S as in soap. Okay. I've got that. Okay. I've got it. What's your last name? Okay, ma'am. What's the cell number you're calling from? Okay. And the house is behind Alfred Elementary? Near Yellow House. Okay. All right. And your car is wedged in some trees. All right, ma'am. Just stay as calm as possible. Listen to me. You're not going to drown. Roll down your windows, and if you're able to, get out of your vehicle. Ma'am, if you can break it, break it. Do whatever you can to get out of your vehicle. Okay, it doesn't matter about your car. What matters is your life. We're going to save your life. Listen, is there any building or anything you can climb on top of? All right, ma'am, I'm right here. Ma'am, you got to calm down. Work with me. It's taking you down. Just stay on the phone with me. I'm right here. I'm going to stay with you. Okay, listen, you're not going to drown. We're going to be there for you. Just stay with me, okay? Okay, okay. Try to grab on something above. If you see a tree, if you see anything you can, identifying information redacted, stay on the phone with me, okay? Listen to me. I understand. I hear you, okay. I'm going to be right here. I'm going to stay right here with you, okay? You just stay on the phone with me. Okay, listen to me. If the car is still wedged in between the trees, listen to me, though. Is it still stuck between the trees, or are you moving again? Okay, identifying information redacted. I'm right here with you, okay? Okay, I'm right here. Okay. Okay. So yeah, um, the work that I'm probably best known for is the Lazarus Project, which I think I started in like 2010. It was one of the first uh, troll thread books we put up. And before that, I'd been writing a lot of like very small kind of like nature poems, strangely enough. Uh, these are like horrible Robert Grenier impressions and like kind of broke from that with like a bunch of weird list poems. Like I said, it was 2010 and like that was still a relevant thing to do back then, make a list poem. And They still can be relevant. Sure. That's you leave them alone. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> so I, you know, I was at Buffalo, and there's this huge talk. It's still in the experimental community, experimental poetry community, about like ethics. What is the ethics of the poem? What can the poem do? And I was like, this is ridiculous. This is a poem. It doesn't do anything. Like poems don't. They just they sit on paper. This is I don't understand this. And so I said, all right. Well, instead of being like poems don't do anything and trying to take that stance, I was like, what was the best thing a poem could do literally the best thing a poem could do and that would be that your grandma's not dead anymore that would be it right best thing a poem could do and then how does a book do i've said this before and it doesn't matter this was the idea it didn't change what happened and so uh i said well how do you make a book bring grandma back to life you just say it um and so i started working with alien versus predator for some reason um and found this script online by actually the guy who wrote Hellboy that was option for Alien vs. Predator but never got made. And so Alien vs. Predator existed in this like, uh, the movie itself I think is like in Antarctica or something. And this is like this jungle landscape with like rhinos and like other animals. And so I just started taking all of the descriptions of how they died in the script and just wrote it out and then said, and so the this happened and the Predator comes back to life. And with that, this happens and the Predator came back to life. And while I was working on it, I discovered there was this like, U.S. Uh, House subcommittee meeting on Operation Predator about illegal aliens. And so it was about illegal alien pedophiles. Um, and the dude from uh, America's Most Wanted was the like. John uh, Walsh. Shout was their like, expert witness that talked. And so like I just took those two scripts Sorry and sort about of your son. put them kind of next to each other. Um, so... Yeah, that kind of started that idea, and I, I worked through a couple of other movies, movie scripts, but then started moving more towards like actual deaths. So there's the 9/11. Everyone in 9/11, including the hijackers, there's just a long list of those people. And next to it, I found a website that uh, archived every um, online headline, and so I just put those next to it. So all of the headlines that were happening during that day, which are heavily repetitive because you know they're a Not lot much of just information. Like, yeah, Associated yeah. Press kind of stuff. And so I just put that next to it. But it's this weird sort of transgression through the day, through the headline, with then everyone going. And then I ran out of headlines. So then at the end, there's a long list. There's uh, Jonestown. Um, and then I actually... Which stopped. is called Heaven. It's called Heaven. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and then I stopped when I took all of, there's this website called mydeathspace.com, which aggregates uh, obituaries and connects them to MySpace and Facebook accounts. And so I scraped the entire website, which was like, at that time, it's like 100 extra pages now, but it was like 750 pages. I scraped that, then only left the headline and then wrote just the person's name and that they came back to life. And I think it's something it, like in this one, you pages. add the action, you recapitulate the action. You, yeah, so, just, so and so, so drank five Red Bulls and died. Right. So and so comes back come to back. life. Yeah. And it was, After that actually, five Red Bulls, that actually so took a long time because they also aggregate like murder. And so you would have to read through it and make sure that you're not bringing back the murderer uh, to life because it didn't work. No one work, wants a double of, living murderer. Well, it did. It, yeah. And it, it didn't work like conceptually into the project. And so. That took me like a really long time because we had to actually read through the entire thing. And a lot of this stuff, you don't have to like read through it. You just, there's macros. Like you get a list on Fox News and you get a list of the hijackers, alphabetize that and then just write. He's hiding a whole world of labor that he always does though. And he knows it's true. Like there is so much labor to be done once you've read, once you've had the macro move through. Like I've yeah. watched Joey work hours and hours regularizing comma and period use because you yeah. can use macros to, to editing macros to touch those at some level, yeah. but eventually there's always going to be strange variations. They fall so, short. and I, I There's a milliner's work. Yeah, I, I like the cleanest, <laughs> and I also like, I mean, my process is largely just kind of hacking away at large PDFs, or not hacking away. Like, um, I had another book that was the 911-911 calls in 911-point font, and I just scraped, I took that, um, like one of the first uh, volumes that they released in the Washington Post, put it into Word, type 911 into the font box and then made a PDF of it. And it became this kind of like beautiful object where the letters themselves are pushed off the page and enlarged. You see these so, giant edges of letters. Coming yeah. Like part of the letter. um, so yeah, that was that project. And then, yeah, there's some other stuff there and I've kind of moved from that where I'm working more in terms of, uh, I did a transcription of Holly's voicemails called Holly Melgard's friends and family. So it's four years of her voicemails, um, from like me and, her mother and Chris, and that took me about a year to convince. It, it took me about a year me. to convince Holly that it was a good idea, hmm. um, and then it took me about a year to transcribe all of them. Yeah, yeah. And we published that with Bonaire uh, projects, yeah. which um, shout out John Rutzmoser, shout, shout out to John Rutzmoser, Amanda, Amanda Monte, yeah, yeah, baby Hannah, what up? And that project, uh, they publish collaborative books by two authors working yeah, yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. So our collaboration was that. Joey transcribed all my voicemails. I let him do all of them, and then I let him. And so, yeah. her name gets on. friends and family is just in the title alone. Yeah. Yeah, Licensed yeah, yeah. by collaborative because I let him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's there's stuff like that. Um, I have a manuscript that is coming up on Company Books, which is Joseph Kaplan, Steve Zoltansky. That's nine one one calls where I remove the caller's voice, so it's just the dispatcher um, talking. During those which, things, which you read at the uh, just yesterday at the end yeah. of like thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's um, a call where a woman drowns during yeah. the call itself. Which that is... book is actually really old, but it still produces results. You I see know. a lot of gestures kind of become absorbed by audiences, but every time Joey, Joe, that book's like four years old yeah, now in its final like form, old, yeah. and but every time he trots it out, it's like the room, the temperature drops. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's it still does work. Well, it's, so one of the things I wanted to talk about with this kind of work, um, when we've kind of walked around different, like, kind of thought processes to think about this kind of stuff, this kind of work can be um, both, like, done in three hours or something. Right. You know, or, and it can also be really labor intensive, like you yeah, said, like yeah, hacking yeah. through this text and, you know, you're getting, like, macros or computers or whatever to do it. But I also, um, generally, I think of, the kind of things that troll thread does. And I've published some things like this and there's other places that like Gauss PDF, the shout out to work Gordon. like this. Gordon yeah. Failing. Shout out to Gordon. Um, but I also think of it as like gestural, it's like gestural drawing, but with a book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like you were talking about where you can take a book and like, boom, you know, it's like playing yeah. it like an instrument. Yeah. To yeah, me, yeah. it's like similar to like gesture drawing or something. It's like, I'm just going to do this. Whoop. And yeah. most of the time, like, I, and I think it's a technological shift kind of, it has a lot to do with the technology. I don't think it's like about technology, but think, like, but like it's opened it up to this kind of, you know, I'm going to do, you know, yeah. the ni 911 point font right. and I see the edges of text. And that's like fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also like it opened up for us. There's also an aesthetic shift, obviously, like with 
the sort of conceptual break that happened in the early 2000s, which was really important for us, but also this kind of like experimental poetry for a large swath of it and for most of it lives at the university. Like, and that's just true. And even if you're not writing in the university, there's an inflection within that sort of like yeah. academic. Even those who are anti-university. Which gets right. historicized yeah. as yeah. experimental. Right. Like often literature, a various yeah. part and, of and the genre. Monumentalizes. Yeah. It, like a monumentality to yeah. the work. That... And a very specific literary canon that yeah. goes, say, through like specific modernists to Black Mountain, San Francisco Renaissance, New York School, mm. into sort of language Poe. And then you have like the post-Lang Poe in the 90s. And then other things that are happening now and it's very sort of concretized but I think that when we started moving to these things that don't have to be read in those ways yeah it opened yeah. up a kind of like almost anti-aesthetic that I know like I have in yeah. my work mm -hmm. I don't want to speak for them but it opened up a possibility of like my work deals with very kind of negative um or a lot of violence and it deals with kind of treating the human as like a material object uh or a sort of textual object which was like heavily influenced by say like the actionists and like performance art and stuff like that and so it opened that up of finding alternatives and finding yeah. different modes to be articulated i am um, well I, oh, I, oh, go ahead no please no i'm just i'm fascinated by i agree it appears gestural right um but when one is gesturally drawing one can assume plausibly that the utensil is very is not very complex yeah um What's and so the aesthetic is still what, very important. What's fascinating yeah. to me, though, is that these gestures of simplicity, of seemingly just like random operations happen so quickly, still require a huge amount of processing power and um, complexity yeah. to, to happen in the first place yeah. and to be maintained, right? You have to save that file somewhere. You have to put it on Lulu. It's being constantly worked. It's worked working to maintain itself there. And so there's there I'm fascinated with this interchange between what seems to be denuded, stripped down spaces and arrangement, say of algorithms, platforms, like uh, you know, different servers, different human gestures that are coordinated to maintain, produce, and dis you know, dissimulate these things. Um, it's gestural. It's also like um so the concept for each of these books, if there is a concept, can work like, you know, a kind of technology that then filters information through that thing to make that book. Another way of thinking about it is that, like, um, we're playing with scale in a lot of ways, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, My Death Space is, is three volumes like of eight and a half by pages. 11, 740 page books. It's this huge, massive thing. And when you have, I think part of, like, the gravitational pull of what we've managed to put together as editors during a time that we've all been like busy graduate students has been like, when you have one gesture, it actually re can really streamline the editing process because then what you're editing is really organized. So it gives you directions for how to edit just in how you receive what the concept of that book is supposed to be. And similar of the reading process, that's certainly part mm -hmm. of what's interested me about what's yeah. getting called conceptual writing or something. But so it also like, we've often been lumped with conceptual writing, but there's also been this other side to it that like that having being able to curate the gestural has made it possible to edit more books and to streamline that process. But we've also like in the last uh, couple months been talking about kind of reopening and reexamining that because so far it's like when we get books that are written at the level of the line and they're heavily composed, it's like sometimes we feel guilty taking them on because we don't exactly have the manpower to really edit the book at that scale. And so part of what this has done for us has allowed us to open up the scale of the book at a completely different register. And also like where attention falls in the book at the level of the line, you might not read My Death Space, Lazarus Project, line by line or right. stanza by stanza but you're certainly reading at a different scale at a different you're proximity you're like interfacing the, the terms and you're are different, navigating you're through this object yeah. Yeah. and when we make books we always make them to be both a pdf book and a printed book and so it's the the poem is always still maintained as this whole object yeah but yeah. still constantly shuffling across platforms right and mm -hmm. therefore de demanding different modes of access different modes of interaction and those modes um, those modes are different now like you know as anyone knows you end up places on the internet that you didn't intend to go like you click on things like half the time you have a like a tiny url that you don't even know exactly what it is right and so you end up in these weird places you end up in these accidental places and i think that that also kind of feeds into this sort of gesturality and 
yeah. like the kind of aesthetic that we've been working through. I mean, the other thing I think to to point out to what you were uh, you were saying, Matt, con- concerning the idea of kind of flexibility within the scope of these gestures. Yeah. I mean, this points to, I think, maybe some of our discomfort with like a single name, such as conceptual writing or conceptualism. To me, this is like a swarm of like repeating gestures. You know what I mean? And oh, yeah. like, and, and therefore can permit a huge amount of arrangement in themselves in the process, right? Yeah. And can welcome a huge amount of different type of material. And so what you get is you can go from the most ridiculously constrained and yet highly productive. I do two things. I produce 700 page books to the most ridiculously extravagant in the mode of production. And yet the, the output is two pages, right? Yep. Um, and these yeah. variables change as you change the techniques, not just what they are, but how they're ordered. Yeah. Right. And so when people are like, you know, conceptual poetry, like it's, it's coming down on all of us. And it's like, no, you do, it's even worse than you thought. This thing yeah. is much more viral. Well, yeah. It moves in very weird ways. Because conceptual um, writing missed like actually the critique of the whole world of writing that it was supposed to create, which is what you're talking about is that it's a, it's a lot bigger issue. It's like, you know, if you're dealing with like six volume sets that are 750 right. pages each, like conceptual writing came along before you could just publish. Exactly. The right. internet and, is decisive. And so here. conceptual writing still had a monumentality to it. It was still like, you know, day, right. You know, An effort, and that's, that, that's, that's monu- a monumental text, which is like you were saying, the poetry world, whatever, and the canon and all that, mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the works that we were supposed, that we're supposed to read are like given to us as like, this is the thing, but there's this other operation you can do as an artist, as a performer, as a musician, as a writer, where you create a lot of stuff and not everything has to be like, this is my statement. Yeah. Right. So in other words, I'm saying the conceptualism should have said like, fuck modernism. We don't have to turn conceptualism into like a movement. No. Right, we could right. actually just practice yeah yeah this is an experimental setup literally technology to produce results and conceptualism certainly like writer famously known writers as being conceptual self-titled conceptual writers like we'll talk about you know the state of our textual condition in this digital age but it's like with or without conceptualism it still remains that like the way we find literacy and legibility in a text is it's completely different for me than it was 10 yeah. years ago. And that, that uh, has rearranged our attention spans and how we come to encounter and, and read a thing or discern or decipher or hear a thing has been so transformed by our, our technological landscape. So of course it's a place for us to explore. Well, Chris, Holly, Joey, thanks for joining us on the Dude, beat. Thank you guys it was so awesome. much. Thank you guys. So good. This was great. This is great. You guys are really good at this. More, more. <laughs> You've been listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. Our theme music, as always, is Ock Fifth by Lewis Keller. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. And when you do that, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Or go to insertblogpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. Now we're going to go out with a song from Los Angeles musician David Dominique. You can find out more about his music at daviddominique.com. That's David, D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E. Ritual is the name of the album, and the name of the track is Drunk Hump.